HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Diageo Bar Academy. Learn more at diageobaracademy.com. Well, hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Wednesday, September 22nd, 2021. This is our 301st episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, I have two guests, an impressive husband and wife chef team of a multifaceted food company based in West Philadelphia, and I will introduce them fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip. Then later, we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip the show off with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to be the change you want to see in the world. Let's aim to make a difference, not only by expressing our opinions vocally, but acting upon what we believe in. We can all influence, inspire, and make an impact with hard work, determination, and passion, and by practicing what we preach. So let's remember to walk the walk and not just talk the talk, as actions speak louder than words. That's my tip today. All right, I'm very excited to have my two guests joining me. First, Omar Tate, a chef, artist, and co-founder of Honeysuckle Projects, a multifaceted food company that focuses on the nuanced cultures and cuisines of the Black diaspora. Omar has emerged as a visionary and leading thinker on the restaurant industry's cultural development as a whole. In 2020, Honeysuckle was named Pop-Up of the Year by Esquire magazine, and in 2021, Time magazine named Omar as one of the 100 innovators to watch as part of their Time 100 Next list. My second guest is Sybil St. Aud Tate, a Haitian-American chef and children's book author who is a partner in Honeysuckle Projects with her husband, Omar. Between her 16-year career in the restaurant industry and degree in African-American studies specializing in Caribbean culture and 
Aesthetics in America, Sybil has found a niche in cultivating a relative Caribbean food experience that expands the narrative of her identity. Without further ado, hi, Omar and Sybil. Welcome to the show. Hey. Hi. Thanks for having us. (laughs) Yes, thank you. We're glad to be on. Yes, very excited to have you both on, both in in separate locations now, Um, although we'll get into how closely you work together (laughs) on a day-to-day basis. Um, But let's start out a bit with your backgrounds. How did did you both get started in in the hospitality industry and like what what drew you in? Uh, Maybe, uh, Omar, do you want to go first? Um, Man, you know... this is a funny question because people ask me this a lot. The actual answer is um, nothing drew me in. <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I did not want to be a cook. Um, I did not desire to work in restaurants. I actually just needed a job. Um, and I've been in hospitality since the age of 17, um, beginning as a, as a dishwasher and an overnight porter at the Philadelphia Marriott downtown that's connected to the convention center. Um, and I worked there for about two and a half to three years in that entire time. Um, the dish room is actually like really huge. It's the size of a um, $1,400 uh, studio apartment in Brooklyn and adjacent to uh, the kitchen. And I never had any interest in what the chefs were doing. And it wasn't really until after my son was born um, that I took an interest in cooking um, when, again, I, I just needed a job. But I felt like I needed a job that, that I could define myself around. So I, um, I lied on a resume and said that I actually cooked because of my proximity to kitchens and, and hotel and hotel work. Um, and when I was hired, the chefs immediately understood that I didn't know what the hell I was doing or what I was talking about. The first request was to um, brunoise shallot, and I didn't know what either one of those words meant. But um, they they appreciated my zeal um, because it was very far from where I lived. It was 30 miles outside of Philadelphia, and I was traveling by public transportation two and a half hours a day to get there. So they um, decided to train me, and I worked at this golf club for one and a half years, and that was my start. <laughs> wow. Okay. Good. No, it's good to know. Uh, and what about you, Sybil? Yeah, so I didn't... Um... I wasn't as um, less inclined to kind of fall into the restaurant industry as Omar. Um, My mom actually, um, so my family's from Haiti and my mom was trained um, as a chef in Haiti. Um, But when she migrated over to the States, she became a nurse. And um, in the household, she still kind of upheld those techniques and and those words and and keywords and phrases and and teachings to me around food and just um, really French cuisine. Um, But I, I didn't care too much because I was a kid, but as a teenager, I needed a job and the restaurant industry was perfect, a perfect way to make some fast cash as a kid on Long Island trying to like put gas in your car. Um, So I started uh, front of the house and went to college. And when I graduated, I came back home and I I needed to pay off some student loans uh, to get to grad school. And I I ended up just falling into it. I, I had a chef um, friend mentor who kind of just pulled me into the back of the house and started me from the very bottom. Um, and I fell in love with it. It, uh, so it wasn't something I was really looking for. Um, although I was very familiar with food and techniques and and all those fun things, but it's just kind of, kind of just happened out of a a necessity to, to do something different to, to pay Sally Mae really. (laughs) Right. So when, when did you two meet and when was Honeysuckle formed? Because I'm not sure which came first. <laughs> well, Honeysuckle came first as a, a pop-up concept um, that, that I started in 2017 um, as a way for me to explore 
my own personal narratives and where that fits into the larger story of Black Americans as a whole. Um, and that lasted um, up and right up until the pandemic. And um, Sybil loves to tell this story, so I'll let her tell the story. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, so Omar had been doing Honeysuckle pop-ups. Um, I had been doing my own um, Haitian American experience pop-ups in New York um, under a company called Earthseed Provisions. And we were both asked to um, do a dinner together at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival by our great friend BJ Dennis. He um, put us on a dinner and we had known of each other, but we had never really met before. Um, and so... We uh, worked this dinner together and um, fell in love. <laughs> yeah, so um, it was kind of just it was it was really immediate. Um, it was like a, a wonderful romantic comedy weekend in Charleston, surrounded by food, friends, and culture. And then the pandemic hit, <laughs> and we were both kind of you know readjusting our our respective business models and. Um, you know, the idea to kind of collaborate and to join forces and to really work on something together arose. And um, Omar, Omar had moved back to Philly and um, I was interested in moving to Philly as well. And it was just kind of one of those things that just made sense. And so it was, um, it, yeah, it was born. Honeysuckle Provisions was born. <laughs> and then uh, in the midst of all that, we got married. All right. Yeah, we got married. <laughs> well, uh, and, and, I was at I was at the Charleston Wine and Food Festival this last right before the pandemic. Oh. Um, I'm I didn't I didn't leave I didn't fall in love there. I love Charleston, <laughs> but maybe maybe my next one. I mean, yeah. So we're doing a dinner. I don't think it's been announced yet, but we're doing another dinner there. And so if you come and visit and attend our dinner, maybe someone <laughs> at your table might be you know <laughs> maybe we're putting I'm putting it out into the universe. So. <laughs> oh wow, that's that's really that's really cool and special. So, okay, so you came back and yeah, so you're in the. I mean, talk a, li- a bit about about getting through. I mean, we're still not completely out of it, but the in the pandemic, like, how did you guys cope, deal, trans? You know, um, the big <laughs> word of the year was pivot, mm. and 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 being in in Philadelphia, like, what was you know what was what was it like? Um, well, I mean, me personally coping, I, I did a lot of writing, um, when the pandemic began, um, and this kind of answers the question about the pivot as well. Uh, the pop-ups were going on, um, they completely shut down come March 17th, 2020, everyone canceled everything. Obviously we all know about that. Um, and I was really, you know, looking at, looking at myself in the mirror, questioning, you know, asking myself just a lot of questions. Um, and that's what really made me understand that honeysuckle wasn't just uh, about food. I mean, I always knew that, but it truly is a philosophy and in, in the approach to how now we um, look at uh, our method of thinking around um, Black and Afrocentric culture. And so through that, I personally was able to write and um, create poetry and sell zines and um, to also uh, add to that, I, I did some delivery with caviar and did some pop-ups. Um, uh, n- not not caviar the food, caviar the... Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I knew that. I mean, yeah, our audience probably knew that. <laughs> um, and then um, continue Honeysuckle as a takeout pop-up out of the kitchen of our good friends at South Philly Barbacoa. Um, that, that was how, um, it, it continued as just honeysuckle. 
pop up, but as Sybil and I continued to to talk and people began to kind of lighten up a little bit and at least come out to come pick up food, we did a couple of um, uh, pop-ups under her brand, then um, Kiona and Earthsea Provisions over the summer, and then did another uh, Honeysuckle pop-up together in September under, um, that we created called Black Labor Day um, in September. And so, I mean, I think, you know, speaking for myself here, coping was more or less just living living through our culture and philosophies and, and, and continuing to live through food because that's pretty much all we had, you know, and one another. Yeah, I, I'm going to agree completely. Um, you know, Omar kind of fell into writing. I fell into a lot of reading and listening to music, um, big music head. Actually, both of us are. And music plays so much into our food and our dining experiences. Um, it was kind of a moment for for the virtual DJs and, and just for being home and listening to music and kind of being with yourself. And so we were we were able to do that. And, and that was a big way to cope for sure, for sure. Yeah. And then how did your chef in residence at Stone Barns come about, which I was so glad I got to attend. It was so special and meet both of you there. Um, but did what was with Dan Barber just give you a ring? <laughs> um, honestly, that, that's exactly what happened. <laughs> Um, I thought so. Yeah, so Sybil and I were just minding our own business one day. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, well, I was very surprised at first. Uh, so last last July in the summer, um, we launched a, a fundraising campaign for Honeysuckle, um, which is now going to be Honeysuckle Provisions as a community center, um, still formulating the idea, but we knew that we needed to um, – raise $250,000 to acquire property um, as like a, a down payment on a building to get things started. And that's kind of like re- real, like really where our minds were and focusing on, on those things. Um, and then in October, um, Dan Barber called me um, and asked if I would like to be a part of the Chefs and Residence program. I have no idea how he got my name or even found me. I just, before he called me, he started following me on Instagram one day and I was like, hey, hey. Uh, <laughs> Like oh wow! So then, uh, when he called and he asked me to do it, uh, my first response was trepidation. You know, I, I I don't know. (laughs) Last year was a year, you know, with Black Lives Matter and um, all all sorts of um, uh, insecurities around reasons why things happen. You know, Um, and so when I had our internal conversations about that, but we had three or four more conversations with Chef Dan, um, and we understood that the, the culture shifts that they were trying to put forth there in Stone Barns and at Blue Hill um, was thorough and unique and uh, uh, genuine. So um, after those four or three or four conversations, um, we went for a visit in December, um, had our, our very first dinner at, at Blue Hill in our lives, which was delicious. Very delicious. Um, <laughs> and then we, we the, the residency began in March, February. February. Mm-hmm. For those who, who couldn't attend, how would you, I mean, you want to tell, tell us a little about like how you designed the menu and the storytelling behind it? Because it wasn't, I mean, it was one thing, the food on the plate and the eating and deliciousness, but it was a whole experience from, from when you entered to when you left. Yeah, so when when Chef Dan asked to, to do the residency, um, what he asked me to do was to, you know, what, what was my interpretation of the landscape at 
um, at Stone Barns. And um, the food that Honeysuckle was doing as a pop-up before really uh, didn't just look at, you know, farm to table or soil to plate or anything that linear. Um, I really tried to pull together many, many different references and, and mental resources through literature, through art, through history, through contemporary ideas around what a Black experience looked like. Um, and given the circumstances of last year, um, you know, our current moment was really weighing heavily on on my mind. And it wasn't until after um, writing one menu that was terrible and going through several different things and conversations um, internally that uh, the menu itself emerged as really representative of Black life. And it was Sybil who looked at the menu and um, <laughs> she pointed out that um, it was really traveling through time, you know. I don't know if you want to touch on that, Sybil. Well, yeah, I think um, just from the, the the courses and the inspirations and references that that Omar had used for each course, it, it was it was literally like traveling through time. And I mean, you started off um, you started off in the streets of Philadelphia <laughs> with the the plateware, um, which Omar could talk about his the collaboration with Greg Moore a little bit because that was also very special. And just as you eat and as you carry on through the dish, it's just there are various elements and and key figures that inspired and shaped um the framing behind it and i mean it it didn't really i mean i saw it on the on the menu looking at it and i was like oh yeah this is definitely like traveling through time but it also felt like i was traveling through life cycles of just being black in america where you started out with like a very heavy dreadful feeling um and thinking about just like the death of young black boys in our inner cities and then toward you get towards the end to the edna lewis cake and to the honeysuckle ice cream it was just like a joyous kind of celebration and so it's like the highs and lows of like black life in america at such a poignant time when we were literally kind of going through those shifts ourselves and as a community um so it was just such a special menu and a special moment in time and if you were there you really understood just you you got what, what Omar was trying to give in that moment and it's just something that I don't think anyone's going to ever experience ever again yeah I mean I, I really think that um people don't really know if you if you didn't dine there was an art gallery that you entered before um before you even had dinner and um I made a lot of that art myself um, and then collaborated with um, artist and uh, professor Craig Moore, who also has been um, collaborating with Chef Dan for making um, ceramics for dishes that happened at Blue Hill for years. Um, but that art gallery really um, puts you into the place and context of the meal you were about to have. Um, some of the pieces, um, one was called Wallace Thurman in a Black Square, um, which is a nod to a writer named Wallace Thurman who um, was a, a writer during the Harlem Renaissance and people just don't really know who he is, but he was an editor for um, lots of folks like Langston Hughes and um, Zora Neale Hurston, Richard Wright, and died at the age of 27. And it really, the, the painting itself is a poem that I wrote that's layered in all black um, several different times. It took a month to make this painting uh, where when you get close to it, you can't read it until you get close to it. Um, and it's about being seen. And um, so much about that meal was really about um, being seen, but also about what occurs when one is seen, whether it's whether it's violence, whether it's joy, whether it's pain, and that all kind of depends on who is uh, who is seeing you. So um, I think that when people left, um, 
they felt at least for a moment a deep a deep empathy around um, the experience that that we tend to, that Black folks have on a daily basis. Yeah, I think it's also important to note the the energy that we brought into this space with that with the centerpiece. Um, and what we call it, we call it the altar. Um, we had images of our ancestors hanging around. We had um, wonderful provisions and, and rice and all these wonderful, delicious things kind of in the centerpiece, inviting those energies, inviting the spirits of, of those who've kind of just like guided us uh, throughout our lives and will continue to into that space. And so it was, it, it was something else. I mean, <laughs> I can't, yeah. yeah. It really was, and I, uh, if I, I talked about it on episode two eighty two uh, as my solo dining experience. People want to hear my take on it, and I don't know if I, I, I did it justice, but um, it was, it was really, it was really special. And and going solo, and I've said this in the past, or, or I've written about it, but it's something when you're dining alone, you really can focus on everything around you because there's no distractions and what's happening in your plate and the ambiance. So I think it was, it was a perfect solo dining experience and you know, that I could really take it all in. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I was glad to meet you guys um, and get back up to Stone Barns. I'd been there once before with a large group many, many years ago. So it's such a awesome property. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like Disney world for like those in the industry. (laughs) Yeah. I could see that. Um, So, so let's talk a little about what's happening now with your GoFundMe and with your projects between honeysuckle projects and honeysuckle provisions. Uh, Maybe Sybil, you want to? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, so the the GoFundMe we are doing well, but we st- we do have a ways to go. Um, we are we have acquired a farm in July. We acquired a farm over um, in West Philadelphia on a market where we were able to um, grow some really really fun uh, peas and greens and just uh, really get to understand the soil. Where we are, it's about a quarter of an acre, and, and we hope to really develop this land and, and really jumpstart an agricultural aspect of Honeysuckle um, that will help like fuel the cafe and the grocery store and the supper club. Um, so we are hopefully uh, moving forward with our cafe space um, uh, in November. Well, we will be able to jumpstart our grocery kit program where we're going to pretty much um, put package together items that you can find in the full-fledged grocery store. Um, a little bit of pantry items, a little bit of produce, a little bit of um, a protein um, at a reasonable price that feeds a family of four, really trying to kind of make sustainable, fresh, good food available to the, the community members in this West Philadelphia area. Um, so hopefully we can open up that, that cafe and concept spot um, which is on 48th and Spruce in November. And then the larger uh, image or vision of the grocery uh, supper club, cafe library, like the super center, I like to call it the honeysuckle super center. (laughs) Um, We'll be able to open up um, in maybe like quarter three or four of 2022. So um, we're still a ways to go, but we are, we are doing very well. and, And we're just really excited to kind of, 
get back to cooking. You know, it, it was a little bit of a lull. Um, as new business owners, there are some things that we learned along the way that we weren't privy to that we didn't quite understand as young entrepreneurs. That we learned along the way. <laughs> <laughs> so many things. And, you know, it was a, a little bumpy for a while there, but um, we uh, kept our heads down and kept working. And, and we are just really excited to uh, continue to serve this West Philadelphia community and to really expand on all the things we want to do and, and, you know, maybe not stop at West Philadelphia and take honeysuckle all over the place. Oh, that would be exciting. <laughs> <laughs> I, and I'm not, su- not surprised you even are thinking that way. So. <laughs> Let me ask, ask you both my question for my last guest on episode 300. I had on Danielle Balud, chef and restaurateur of over 15 restaurants worldwide, including his flagship Two Michelin star Danielle in New York City. We all know Danielle. We love him. <laughs> uh, he wants to know, will you join us with ment- ment- I say mentor. He says mentor or mentor. <laughs> I don't know, beautiful French accent, uh, which is the foundation that he created with Thomas Keller and Jer- Jerome Bacus. And um, they started it, uh, they were as a be- they started in the beginning to support the U.S. team at Bakusteori competition, uh, but since it's grown, there the or- you know the organization has grown to support the future of mentorship. So he and which he believes is very important. So his question was, will you would you like to get involved with mentor? Wow, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a good spot to be in, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't think there's a, you know, there's a, a response in kitchens. Yes, chef, right? That, <laughs> yep, that's it. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Or actually, well, it's we, we, chef. Chef. we chef. We chef. Yes, we chef. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Do you? I mean, with mentorship, is that or, or is that something you're involved in now, or is it something? Um, and and what's your team like? Uh, these days, or are you guys just doing everything yourself? <laughs> well, there's no way we could do everything ourselves anymore. Um, actually, we shouldn't have been doing everything ourselves in the yeah. past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think absolutely the, the answer is mentorship is, is key to our relationship with our employees. Um, so currently we have uh, four employees. They're all um, young cooks. Um, two of them have actually left jobs in the middle of a pandemic to come work for us because they find what we're doing um, reflective and very, very interesting and very, very thoughtful. Um, and with, within that, you know, there's, we, we build an atmosphere and an environment of holistic care where we're interested in their ideas and, and not just their labor. Um, we're, we're interested in their growth um, and not just where they are at the moment, you know? Um, and I think that that is really where um, young cooks uh, would like to be, especially given the last couple of years of um, kind of talking about upending um, the pre-existing system uh, that many people relate to um, brigade kitchens and, and um, you know, just we call old school kitchens. Um, I think people are just looking for something fresh and new to dig their heels and their teeth and their hands into. Um, and 
obviously we've talked a lot about uh, the experiences that we create and those experiences uh, are, they're, they're, they're 360 experiences where we're talking about, um, we're talking about history openly and actively. We're talking about um, nostalgia and emotion openly and actively um, and, and trying to lay those personal markers um, like, like, like hands down on our food um, at every single touch point, whether it's the, the, the plate, the actual food, uh, the decor, the language. So I, I think that um, we, we're, we're kind of forced to mentor because that's just not something that I've ever seen or ever or, or have ever had the um, opportunity to, to take part in, in any, uh, any job, in any career path. Yeah, I agree. I think um, for for folks in marginalized communities that enter these kind of um, these major industries, they we kind of get lost in the sauce, um, for lack of a better phrase. And uh, mentorship is is easier to come by if you have someone that kind of can relate, has similar life experiences, um, or sometimes even just looks like you, is around to help you along that path. And and with the exception of that that first chef um, that I came across in my early teens, I I haven't seen that. Um, so much in other restaurants that I've worked in. And so it's super important and vital that we create that culture at Honeysuckle where um, we are mentoring and also that we just care for the, for humans in general that, that kind of come through our doors, whether it be our team members or our customers. And if that means mentoring someone that works with us or someone that that is just a customer, <laughs> you know, that's something that, that we really um, take seriously and, and want to continue to grow and develop because we didn't have that ourselves. Yeah. Amazing. I'm so glad he asked that question and it was so great answer answers. So perfect. Okay. Let's take a little break here on that note. Uh, we will come back. We'll play my speed round. We'll talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience and the final question. So stay with us. This is all in the industry on heritage radio network. Diageo Bar Academy is a free online resource for hospitality professionals, offering resources for bartenders at all levels. Whether you are a bartender, barback, or manager, or completely new to the industry, Diageo Bar Academy has easy to access, free resources to help you learn new skills, providing everything you need to raise the bar and enhance your career. From members-only content like e-learnings and downloadable tools, to masterclass events with global industry experts. And if you didn't already know, Diageo Bar Academy is the marquee sponsor of the Tales of the Cocktail Foundation's 2021 Spirited Awards directory, and will be hosting a watch party on September 23rd. This year's Spirited Awards theme is community, acknowledging the hard work and resilience of the hospitality industry over the last year. Watch live at DiageoBarAcademy.com and root on my colleagues. The Speakeasy, Back Bar, and Agave Road Trip are all up for the Best Podcast Award, which is really cool. So wishing them the best. And again, cheer them on and watch at DiageoBarAcademy.com. Also visit DiageoBarAcademy.com to learn more and gain access to educational initiatives, digital seminars, beyond the bar activations, as well as some in-person events in cities around the world. That's D-I-A-G-E-O baracademy.com. Become a member and sign up for the newsletter today. 
It's completely free and you will be amazed at all they have to offer. So why wait? Again, that's diageobaracademy.com, D-I-A-G-E-O, baracademy.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Sherry Bayer. My guests today are chef founder Omar Tate and his wife, business partner, Chef Sybil St. Odd Tate of Honeysuckle Projects, a multifaceted food company that focuses on the nuanced cultures and cuisines of the Black diaspora. Okay, Omar and Sybil, it's time for my speed round. So what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. You guys ready? Yeah. (laughs) I'm ready. Here we go. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Eat in. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. Are you sure you're a couple? No. (laughs) Um, How about indoor dining or alfresco dining? Alfresco. Alfresco. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Champagne. Champagne. <laughs> <laughs> you say champagne too? Yeah. <laughs> All right, cool. We have two bottles of champagne in the fridge right now. Yeah. <laughs> ready to go, right? Ready to pop. Okay, tasting menu or a la carte? Mm-hmm. Tasting menu. Tasting menu. Yeah. Yeah. Small plates or large plates? Small mm-hmm. plates. I think, actually... Large plates because you can share them with more more than more mm-hmm. than just that. Mm. <laughs> more people. Okay. How about communal table or chef's counter? Chef's Ooh, counter, chef's always. Yeah. <laughs> what did you say, Omar? Do it. Chef's, oh, counter, chef's counter all day. Yeah. Okay. All right. That's that's my choice. <laughs> um, cooking for one another or cooking for guests? Ooh, mm. uh, I'm going one another. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the romantic in me says one another, but <laughs> yep. Actually, there. <laughs> this is supposed to be a lightning round, but it, it's 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 hard because I think we both love it, love both of them the same, but for different reasons. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do enjoy cooking for others, but um, I don't know. I, I guess it's something about being in a, married that you you know what the other person likes very well. And there's a joy that comes with being able to, like, hit all those markers, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Mm-hmm. Okay, three more. Pats or Genos? <laughs> or. <laughs> neither. <laughs> um, neither one. And if you're listening to this, I'm not, I'm not even like. <laughs> I know. I've had this one for other, uh, other guests from Philly, and they usually give me, I don't know. Like another another choice, even though I don't know what's what's yours on the simple. I mean, same. I, neither uh, as a native New Yorker, <laughs> as a native New Yorker, when I traveled to Philly, like I didn't know any better, and I would hit up, you know, Pat's or Gino's, and I'd be like, oh, this is a cheesesteak, and then I met Omar, and he was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been converted. So neither. <laughs> All right, cool. I tried them once, and I'm not. Yeah, I'm. Um, yeah, it, I mean it's like it's it's one of those it's just one of those things still associated with Philadelphia, and though they're so I mean Philadelphia is amazing food. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, cheese plate or dessert? Oh, dessert. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt on that one. And 
My last one is Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia. Yeah. 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 That's that gets the same uh, Pat Sergino's response from me. <laughs> awesome. Well, that was fun. I like it with fun, especially fun as a, as a couple playing together. <laughs> okay, so for industry news, I picked out an article that was in the New York Times. It's entitled, How to Make the Unloved Job More Attractive. Or actually, there's a question mark on that. How how to make the unloved job more attractive? <laughs> Restaurants tinker with wages. As they struggle to recruit workers, many workers are raising pay, but some are trying to go deeper to make their business fairer and more humane. And this was by Jane Black. And this is something I've talked about in a lot of the industry news segments on my show recently, just about uh, the struggle of restaurants to find workers and, and how restaurants are dealing. And this this article is a little on the you know, the solution or what restaurants are trying to do with um, paying more and raising wages. Um, uh, you guys, I figured it would be great to talk with you about it as as chefs and restaurateurs. Uh, what's, what's, did you, were you able to see this piece and do you have any feeling about what's happening? Um, I mean, I think we kind of touched on it earlier yeah. uh, when we were describing our engagement with, with, with our own employees. Um, but but to to answer that question a little more targetedly, I think that I don't think that it's fair to ask the parts within the system like how to fix you know how to fix this problem. You know, mm. I think it's, it's a systemic problem. The way that our industries, regardless of what the business is, it's about productivity, right? And the motivator of money is no longer looking like it's the solution to continue folks to want to put their their bodies out there to produce and if it's not if it's not serving more more than just their pockets or wallets especially after the pandemic um, not after especially during (laughs) um, a a pandemic where so many lives have been lost um, and and reflecting and being able to reflect on that at every turn every time you look at, at, at someone in a mask you're reminded that we're our time here is not is not long, you know. Mm. Um, and so I, I think that uh, what we really need to do is look at our systems at a, at a policy level, from a policy level, how to support small business owners more robustly than we are, so that we can be more enticing um, and more appealing to workers, to laborers. Um, we're we're putting ourselves out on a limb here. Every single week, we're you know we're looking at our balance book. Like, are we going to be able to pay our workers the living wage that we're paying them right now? Um, because this business is just so fragile, um, and we're figuring out ways to do it through grants and um, things like that. But you know, if not for that, I'm not sure if we'd be making it. Yeah, it's um, we we definitely pay a very very competitive living wage for our employees just because we've been there and we've known what it is to struggle to make ends meet um working a job that you're just given your whole entire life and your being to and and we don't want that kind of establishment we don't want that kind of culture and so aside from paying workers more i think it's just improving on quality of life makes a big difference in why people want to stay employed and why people come back and why the retention rates are the way they are um it's 
instead of looking at people like machines, you know, consider their humanity and consider the, the energy and the effort that they're putting into this work, especially food work, food business, because there's just so much of yourself is being poured into a dish to make your customers happy. I think that you can't, we cannot let workers um, kind of fall by the wayside and not consider how they themselves are being taken care of. Yeah, yeah, well said. I mean, this, and the art, it was, I thought it was a good read. There was, um, uh, of what, what restaurants are, are, I was, well, it was, it was a mix. It was some New York. It was actually Philly. They had, um, Ellen Yin was quoted in it, mm-hmm. who's a guest on my show from High Street Hospitality Group. And she was talking, those beyond wages, um, she's offered a health plan, um, for a while, but she's adding lower premiums and a student debt reduction program. Um, there was someone talking about, uh, making it a four day work week if possible, uh, for, for employees. Uh, Amanda Cohn is, is quoted in this article. She's, I mean, she has, uh, she switched to the no tipping model a while ago. She's really a pioneer of that and she's stuck with it. And they were saying she's paying her employees $25 an hour. And, um, she she um, streamlined her menu and she said she's she's making a little profit now. I mean, I think you said five percent. It's like the margins are so tight. Yeah. Um, it's like crazy. But it's, uh, you know, it's it's interesting to see what restaurant tours are trying to do to attract people and maintain them. And it's yeah, it's a tricky it's a it's tricky though. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It isn't easy. And and we're so grateful to have a, a person like Ellen Yin um, in our circle who can kind of help uh, mentor us in things like this, you know, one of our biggest supporters. And, and yeah, we have these conversations with, um, you know, friends in the business uh, locally and, and in New York all, all the time mm-hmm. um, around, you know, how, how to be dexterous in this, in this industry. Uh, mm-hmm. But I just, yeah, you know, I can't, I can't stress enough how, how precarious it is, and if if there is not more support um, coming from uh, state and federal government, I'm not sure what it will look like in the next. Yeah, but an emphasis on supporting like the little guys in the industry. You know, it's it's great that the the more popular restaurants and the the exclusive fine dining establishments get all the support they need but you know the the mom and pops the local places the takeouts the they they need support as well and i think that's that shift needs to be a little more intentional about where kind of all that policy trickles down to yeah true i mean i think i mean with the independent restaurant coalition that was born out of Mm -hmm. the pandemic i think they're I, i mean i think they're planning they are planning to be around for a while and I think represent independent restaurants on all these issues. So hopefully, um, yeah, it's, I, I, and PR, I mostly work with chef owner restaurants. So I see it, um, you know, I see the, the, the struggle or, and, and the, the rewarding factors as well. And, but it's, um, it's there's so many independent restaurants. It's a, it's like a big it's a big category that I think got in a sense overlooked uh, for a, a while. I think there's some attention to it now, which is good. Um, so um, we'll see what happens. I don't plan. I will. I, I'm not planning every industry news segment for the rest <laughs> of <laughs> the rest of the show's history. Uh, will be about this, but it has been. It just seems like there's constantly articles and conversations going on um, about it. Yeah. 
Okay, so for my solo dining experience this week, um, I'm going to give the rundown. I went to a place down in Miami, and it's called Uchi. So here we go. Uh, the location, 252 Northwest 25th Street, Wynwood, Miami, Florida. The concept, a non-traditional take on Japanese food. It was founded in Austin, Texas in 2003. The chef and owner is Tyson Cole. He's a James Beard Award winner for Best Chef Southwest in 2011. So why'd I go? Well, I was down in Miami for my high school reunion, <laughs> believe it or not. And uh, I, I had one night that I decided to go out and check out this place. It was a newer place um, that opened, I think, about six months ago in Miami, which is my hometown. And um I want to check it out. So my experience, well, I had a 5.30 early bird reservation and I went in, I sat at the sushi bar, I'm walking around as people were wearing masks. I was distanced from other people. So it felt safe. Um, and the the bonus or the plus of this early bird reservation, which I didn't realize until I was there, was they had a happy hour menu that included food <laughs> from 5 to 6.30 with, with all these amazing dishes. So I was able to try a lot of different things. I ordered from this lovely sushi chef who was in, uh, in front of me, and um, I had a really great time. So what did I get? Well, I had lots of little tasting size plates. Um, I had the Hama chili, which they're known for, which is a yellow tail ponzu Thai chili and orange dish. That's the ingredients. I had yoka berry, which is salmon, Asian pear, kale, and blueberry. I had bincho nigiri with albacore tuna and kimchi, and I had avocado neri with uzu koshu and tamari. I had a walu walu, which is an oak grilled escalar, and I also got wagyu yakitori. Um, so again, I got all these dishes, and it was I'll see. I'll tell you what I paid later. It was very reasonably priced. Um, my take, it was all great. I'd say my favorites were the hama chili and the bincho nigiri. Of course, it's the, the fish dishes. Um, the ambiance. It's a, uh, I'd say it's a large space. Space has different areas uh, from the sushi counter, the bar, the dining room. It's decorated in light blonde woods. It felt kind of casually elegant, if that's something. Uh, perfect for solo dining at the sushi counter, and I'd say dinner with friends. There were other soloists there as well at the sushi counter. Uh, interesting tidbit. So Uchi has outposts in Austin, Houston, Dallas, and Denver. It's part of the High Hospitality Group. It also includes Uchiko and Uchiba. And Uchi is translated from the Japanese word house with this original location um, in a refurnished Austin South Austin bungalow. Uh, personal fun fact. So I was in Austin a couple years ago for the Hot Luck Festival. I look back, it was 2017. And I did go to their sister restaurant, Uchiko. I remember having a great solo meal there. Um, and after this dinner, this was in Wynwood. So I walked around a little bit. There's Wynwood walls, um, the, this art galleries and art on the walls. It's basically what Wynwood Walls is. Um, and lots of new restaurants and bars and shops. So it was really developed since I'd last been back a couple, maybe like a year ago. Or actually, I probably hadn't been there since the pandemic. So it was probably like two years ago. Uh, the cost of this meal, $41, not including tax gratuity. It was like sushi restaurant with all those dishes. I was like, that's a good value. Would I go back? Yes. Website UchiMiami.com and Instagram is Uchi underscore Miami. So there we go. Ooh. Um, you guys, uh, 
been to Uchi or, or been to Miami? <laughs> uh, I've been to Miami. I've been to the Wynwood area. Um, Wynwood sometimes often reminds me of Philadelphia just because of all the art on the walls. And Philadelphia mm-hmm. has so many murals um, all around, especially in the West Philadelphia Mantra area. So um, I always think of Philadelphia when I'm in Miami. But I've never been to Uchi. And it sounds like it sounds fun and it sounds delicious. <laughs> It was delicious and fun. And I feel it, this is also a place that has a really large menu. Mm. Um, uh, there, there's a lot. You could you could do straight sushi. Um, I decided to do these composed dishes more just because it felt like something s- special or different um, about it. But uh, it was good. I would definitely recommend it. So Nice. I've never been, but everything you just said just made me rethink the answer to that fire round and say whether... <laughs> out or dining in <laughs> I hear you I'm not going to hold you to your answer <laughs> okay so it's time for the final question my next guest is Andrea Strong she's the executive director of Roar which is a nonprofit founded in New York City in March 2020 by a group of ind- industry professionals in passion to fight for unemployed restaurant workers facing financial hardship and to advocate for an industry in crisis. And Andrea, I've known for a long time, she's considered to be like the first food blogger. She had a blog called The Strong Buzz, which when I just started doing PR back in 2003, but I remember Andrea, The Strong Buzz, like you had to get your restaurant in her column. So um, she's now become the executive director of Roar, which is really exciting. Uh, so, Omar and Sibylle, what would you like to ask Andrea? Hmm. Well, I I want to ask her what's the for at Roar what's what's the biggest challenge of um, connecting the dots for the needs you know advocating for unemployed workers and connecting those dots for politicians who largely don't spend much time on the ground with folks like that, and um, especially in a community, in a restaurant community where um, for so many folks, English is not their first language, you know, um, and, and, and in a city like New York, uh, what, what, are the, what are the challenges there connecting those dots? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I'm, I'm also very curious about just um, ways that um, as business owners, uh, we can prepare because, I mean, it's unexpected if, if you have to lay someone off or someone, you know, you have to fire someone or whatever the situation is. But maybe what are some tips or tricks that we can kind of think about considering preparing for the for a more comfortable departure of our employees if they for, if they ever have to leave our business? You know, what are some some ways to do that? respectfully and and just keeping in mind uh, where we are as owners and companies and just where folks are as individuals. Terrific. Great questions. I'm going to ask them both, see what Andrea has to say. And um, thank you guys so much. I, I It's been really fun. I would keep, keep chatting, but uh, I need a longer show. <laughs> well, um, but I, I wish you guys the best. I can't wait to get down to Philly and and come to Honeysuckle Projects and and see you guys in person. I'm glad we got to meet when you were uh, in New York. Yeah, can't, thank you for having us. Can't wait to have you. Um, we are planning on opening November 1st. That's the goal. Fingers crossed. Um, but when we do, 
we'll definitely send you the invitation. Yes, yes. And we can go out afterwards and get cheesesteaks. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I mean, there's so many. We could, but we could. We we could, but, but I mean, the fact when you said um, uh, uh, from Barbacoa, oh, yeah. uh, the, I mean, I'd love to, I've been there once. I'd love to go back there, but there's so many great restaurants in Philly. We could go to one of Ellen's restaurants. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. For sure. So we'll visit a lot of our friends. We love Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Also, that's a favorite place of ours that we love sending people to and taking folks to. So it's a- oh, nice. I was I was out there for the Philly Chef Conference one year and they had a like a happy hour there at Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So um, I saw the space, but I didn't have like a full meal, but it was I could see why you're recommending. It. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. Wishing you much continued success and um, I hope to see you soon. Thank you. My guests today have been Chef Founder Omar Tate and his wife, business partner, Chef Sybil St. Odd Tate of Honeysuckle Projects, a multifaceted food company that focuses on the nuanced cultures and cuisines of the Black diaspora. Their website, honeysucklephl.com, that's for Philadelphia, and follow them at Coltrane215 at Sybil St. Odd at Honeysuckle underscore projects and at Honeysuckle underscore provisions. Follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and AllInTheIndustry.com, and also my Facebook page is All in the Industry. And all of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Kevin, and thanks again to Omar and Sybil. I'm Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with a new show. Hope you'll tune in then, and thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.